either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Memorial Day weekend, 2019. So we are doing this podcast. We're out by the pool. <laughs> We're sipping some margaritas. Is that what's happening right now? No. Not really. We're not really pool people. We're very pasty. That's right. We are. Uh, but we're in our minds. We're, uh, we're doing that <laughs> tropical thing. As we uh, take a look at all the new movies this week, as we always do, welcome to the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from madwolf.com. And by the way, shameless plug, you still have a few days to vote for That's us. That's right. ColumbusPodcastAwards.com. The Screening Room is in the TV movie category and also podcast of the year. So we would love, love, love if you would vote for us. And uh, it's hope the uh, online voting is open through the rest of the end of the month. Right. Right. All right. So there's your shameless plug out of the way. We got it. One big, big movie to talk about and some foreign films and a couple of small movies. And it's a little it's a virtual potpourri <laughs> this week. And the first one, a kind hearted street urchin and a power hungry villain vie for a magic lamp that has the power to make their deepest wishes come true. It's Aladdin. Oh, great one who summons me, I stand by my oath, loyalty to wishes three. I'm kidding. Watch this. Watch out! Uh. You done wound me up! You ain't never had a friend like me! Can you make me a prince? There is a lot of gray area in make me a prince. I could just make you a prince. Oh, no. Y'all see my palace? You look like a prince on the outside. But I didn't change anything on the inside. I think a lot of people were concerned about Will Smith in this one and maybe weren't as concerned as they should have been about Guy Ritchie. Yeah, um, I didn't even know he was uh, directing this until late. Yeah. Because, yeah, that's the whole Twitter universe now. You get a casting like that and people just go crazy. Somewhat, big shoes to fill. Right. It is somewhat understandable because of the big shoes of Robin Williams. I mean, you you can't just you really can't imagine anyone else in that role. But then I always think back anytime there's a role like that, I always think back to what Heath Ledger did exactly. with the Joker. Oh yeah. But he did that by totally reimagining the character. Now I can't see how you can totally reimagine the genie in <laughs> no, this movie. Especially when you have several songs that you're kind of <laughs> wedded exactly. to. You got no choice but Exactly. The... So but Will Smith, he's got a lot of charm, he's got a lot of charisma. He he's he's fine yeah, as the genie. I thought he but, was a fine choice. But uh you're right. I think the biggest problem here and what holds this movie back is the choice of Guy Ritchie. As the director, because he came up through, as you may know, those those gritty cr- British crime slash comedy yeah. capers. We're yeah. talking Snatch yep. and Rock and Roll Up yep. and things like that. And then he's graduated to big budgets. Sometimes a hit, Sherlock Holmes. Sometimes a disaster, King Arthur. Oh, my Lord, that movie was just a, an abomination. Yeah. So now he's got this, and it's just, as I've said many times before, you can be a good director, and if you, you really can not have a, a great grasp of how to present a musical sure. sequence. Yes. I mean, the first two that jumped to mind, Sir Richard Attenborough did a badly misguided a chorus line years ago. And then Clint Eastwood, yeah. just a few years ago, his Jersey, Jersey Boys. Boys, those musical numbers were just limp. So I think that's the case here. And I know that Aladdin didn't originate on the Broadway stage, but still, it's, it's a very musical. musical. It's a Disney musical. Right, it's very musical. And that's the first thing, from the first... Musical number of this movie, I they had no pop, no, no pop at all, no, no. pizzazz, no, no, no magic, no. and that's really 
what's missing from the film. It's it's perfectly fine entertainment, but it's yeah. when you think about the the heights, the recent heights that Disney live action remakes have hit with specifically Jungle Book, yeah. which was fantastic. Yep. And even Beauty and the Beast, which I thought was very good. This one seems like a step down. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't crazy about Dumbo, but I, I, I going back to the director, you think to yourself, Dumbo and Tim Burton, no, that's a match. Yeah. That makes good sense. It yeah. didn't pan out that well, but that makes good sense. And, and uh, one of the things Guy Ritchie has said is that his films are all about street hustlers, which is why he was a good choice for this. But the thing is, I don't even think that element works very right. well, because honestly, I think one of the weakest... Parts of the film is Aladdin. Men of Masood, I just don't think, was very right. convincing. And worse still, he doesn't have much of a voice. That That is the problem. Going back to Will Smith, I mean, early on, of course, we knew him as a rapper. He's not a singer. And on the songs, you can tell no, his yeah. voice. Well, it's not like he's off-key. just doesn't have any. He's not, not strong. It's not, not a strong. strong voice. And neither is Mina Masood, the actor that plays um, Aladdin. And that, yeah, that, that hurts because... Will Smith, understand. You wanted him, so you lived with him. Right. You but needed a butts and seats. You yeah, needed yeah. one, especially because this cast is primarily not your giant superstar, so you right. had to have somebody in there. And honestly, I imagine there were a lot of people who weren't going to take it, who were just like, you know what? This is not. Like, <laughs> they, like I, I, you know, that would be, that's a big shadow, Robin Williams shadow. So good for Will Smith for taking it. And, and again, like you're saying, you'll take a couple of lumps knowing that you've got him yeah. in there. But why you would cast the singing lead. Yeah. It was uh, especially apparent on, you know, the big song, A Whole New World, yeah. because the uh, woman that plays Jasmine, Naomi Scott, she, can, she sing. can sing. Yes, she can. And that's a big, big number in the movie, and he just doesn't get there vocally, no. and it's just one of, that's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons that the, the, some of the musical numbers are just held back. And, you know, they make a few changes to the story. I, they have uh, Jasmine and um, Aladdin meet earlier, mm -hmm. which I think it, it kind of took away from... Their relationship is and his character development. And his, I thought the whole development too, because when they have when she has a change of heart about him, it doesn't feel as well earned to me. It just it's the whole thing seemed a little bit rushed. But, but. I, I felt like she had a stronger presence and a stronger she did her uh, uh, effect on the plot itself. I preferred her character in this one, and also for me, as you know, for any Disney movie, the biggest deal is the villain, mm -hmm. and I really think that of all of the performances. His was the best. Yeah, Marwan Kenzari. Who played Jafar. Plays Jafar. He does do a good yeah, job. Yeah, he does. And actually, when he gets more and more power hungry and more and more powerful, that's when I felt like Guy Ritchie felt more comfortable. Yeah. Those darker yeah. edge sequences, yeah. I thought, came to life much more organically mm -hmm. than than some of the other quote unquote magical moments that uh, that they're trying to have with the uh, with the musical numbers. I thought, oh, okay, now he yeah. feels comfortable yeah. here. That's the way it seemed to me, anyway. But um, also, we got to mention the the CGI yeah. here. And I, I know that we're spoiled yes. because it seems like every new CGI movie that comes out tops the next one because technology moves that fast. Mm -hmm. But when the genie becomes the genie, yeah. the blue, when Will Smith is blue, it just seems and Smokey like... Smokey has yeah. like a CGI... No. Especially his facial yeah. features. Uh, it seems like 10 years ago CGI. Not only that, so if you think about Sandwich, that this film is sandwiched between... Jungle Book and The Lion King, which we haven't seen, but we saw trailers for it. Of course, you'll see a trailer for it before you see Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you look at the animals, the the monkey, the bird, the tiger in Aladdin. And you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah. No, it's just like pfft, nothing. Yeah, and then just think about the last Planet of the Apes movie. Oh, my. And what they can do with those facial features, even in those. Well, Andy Serkis can't play everyone. <laughs> 
know. <laughs> Andy, can you play Will Smith? <laughs> but it's just, it's just one of the things that added up to, you know, kind of a, a decently entertaining hot mess yeah. of what this was. And yeah. that, that's, that's what it seemed like. And, uh, again, just because of the heights that Disney has recently hit with these live-action remakes, this one seemed like a, a, a bit of a disappointment. Agreed. Let's go to an R-rated comedy next. On the eve of their high school graduation, two academic superstars and best friends realize they should have worked less and played more. Determined not to fall short of their peers, the girls try to cram four years of fun into one night. It's book smart. Amy, you've been out for two years and you've never kissed a girl. I really don't know what I'm doing with all that stuff. Isn't it crazy that it's the last day of school? She's got a really cute smile. Go talk to her. Oh, oh, sorry, oh, sorry. Sharp elbows. Not as sharp as your chin. What? Amy. Ow! We have to go to a party tonight. What? Nobody knows that we are fun. We didn't party because we wanted to focus on school and get into good colleges. And it worked. But the irresponsible people who partied also got into those colleges. You know, I was thinking the first time we saw this, is there a way to review this movie without bringing up Superbad? It it would be awfully tough. It would, partly because of all of those movies. Your teen, you know, night before graduation romps. uh, Superbad is the best. There's a lot of them, but Superbad is the best one. And then, of course, the other one is that Jonah Hill starred in Superbad and Beanie Feldstein, his sister, stars in this movie. So it's really hard to not bring the one up. It is hard. And they both... One of the things I remember you bringing it up when we saw Superbad that you loved about it so much was because at its heart, it was about the love that these two friends had yes, for each other. Yeah. And they were moving on and mo- and going well, and on I to think, the next phase of their lives. And it was, it was, I mean, obviously not entirely realistic, but you had a best friend, best friend all through high school. I had a best friend, best friend all through high school. And it's true. When you hit that moment where you're like, I'm not going to see you in the morning, or, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's weird. It's like leaving your family. And I really felt like, well, with all the, you know, McLovin and the lube and everything that was hilarious about Superbad, they got that fear of of losing that relationship they got it really well yeah and i think this movie does a good job as well with a female-centered yeah. best friend best friend duo because it's um it's not only beanie feldstein but uh caitlin deaver yep. is the other friend and uh, yeah they find out that oh some of their other lamo friends that they thought were stupid are also getting into ivy league colleges and they partied and we didn't right but we're, yeah so they're having to face some realizations about themselves and about the next phases of their lives that they're going to enter. They want to go and have a big party. Yeah. So I thought, it, now it's R-rated comedy, which we like oh, that yeah. a lot. If you don't, you know, if you're offended by R-rated comedy, then this is not for you. <laughs> but uh, I laughed a lot. I yep. thought it was really funny. It's very funny. And it's directed it, by Olivia Wilde. And she does a great job because it, on the on paper, it really is just a string of sketches, of misadventure sketches. But between her really confident direction and then just the strength, the talent of the leads, it doesn't feel that way. It really doesn't feel like stop and start, stop and start. I mean, it feels it's they're, they're connected very well. And a couple of the sketches are hysterical. Like yeah. there's a there's a pizza delivery sketch that is just hilarious and very unusual. Nothing, you know, so often when you watch one of the movies, you feel like, all right, this is a riff on the same old thing. We've all seen this before. That pizza thing, you haven't. I also thought that she showed a real flair with the camera work, especially there's a sequence that moves right from a swimming pool scene yeah. to a real 
emotional confrontation yeah. between the two friends. I really thought that worked well. Yeah, I agree. Really, with you. really well. And while we're talking about the leads, let's also talk about the supporting cast. There's, <laughs> there's some really good young actors, uh, especially right at the top, Billy Lord. Yeah. Who is Carrie, Carrie Fisher's, Fisher's daughter. daughter. She apparently, from what I've read, her part was originally pretty small, but she just kept killing it. Yeah, and they just gave her more and more lines. She's hilarious, and that she, is. It. I mean, she steals every scene she's in. Yeah, she really does, and uh, she's she's at the top of a really good uh, ensemble cast. Also, Skyler. Gizondo. From Vacation. When they remade Vacation, he's yeah. the older brother. He's Oops. hilarious yeah. in that. He's hilarious in this. He really is. Yeah. There's just a bunch of them. It's a good young cast. You've also got, well, Olivia Wilde's husband, yeah. Jason Sudeikis, yeah. is in it. And um, Lisa Kudrow and Will Forte and some other people. Jessica but Williams. Jessica Williams. She's did, like the teacher. She's that, the cool that, teacher. Yeah. And then her her character has a little bit of a arc that we weren't wild about. No. But that's just, I guess, nitpicking. Overall, oh, well, the, oh, the other thing that I have to say. So one of the two best friend Lee She's a lesbian. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, first of all, it's about time. And second of all, I think that they did a nice job of just making that sort of an organic, Mm -hmm. realistic. On the other hand, there are two uh, more minor characters who are theater kids and very, very flamboyant, stereotypical gay males. And I thought that seemed like a sledgehammer comparatively. And I was a little disappointed by that. But again, as you're saying, it's nitpicky problems. No, I agree. That's a good point. But still, very funny. We laughed a lot at Booksmart. Hey, here's a question for the next movie. What if a child from another world crash-landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a hero, he proved to be something far more sinister? Well, then you'd have Brightburn. After your dad and I got married, we prayed for a baby for so long. in the barn. Did he find it? No. It was like he was drawn to it. He may look like us. He's not like us. So yeah, this is basically evil superhero origin story mm-hmm. because It's basically evil Superman. Yeah. Yeah, really because you've got this couple uh, living out on a big farm in Kansas. Mm-hmm. And it is Elizabeth Banks is is the uh, wife, and then David Denman is the husband, the Bowers, or the, the Briars. Briars. I'm sorry, the Briars. Yeah, yeah and a little spaceship uh, crash lands on their property. And, of course, they've been praying for a child. Mm-hmm. They hadn't been able to conceive, and now they have this young boy, mm-hmm. and they just pass him off as adopted. I still don't really know how that works, but okay. <laughs> I'll go with you. Um, And then when he gets to be 12 years old, he starts to have some powers. And instead of using them for good, he uses them for evil. And it becomes a really, I think, movies that know what they are Mm -hmm. and embrace that usually have a leg up. And I think this movie does. It's not great. But I found it enjoyable and a good B-movie scare blood fest. I think that's what may throw people is that, on the one hand, it's certainly a sort of comic book-esque origin story, but it's a horror film. It is, it is yeah. a horror film. And so even as much as it's really kind of a, you know, the bizarro world image of Superman, what it really is, is the demon seed coming of age horror film. And what I think is interesting about that is we've seen already this year, this is the third time this year we've seen a horror film where a mother is grappling with what to do as her young boy stops being that sweet kid that she always loved and turned into something more menacing. Mm -hmm. And um, I feel like that is kind of tapping into 
society's anxiety about at what point does toxic masculinity ruin our boys? Like, at what point do they become, you know, that awful guy that we see on Twitter and in the news? At what point does it stop being that sweet kid? And uh, and I find that interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point that you brought up in your written review. And also, without spoiling anything, you also thought it was very interesting how this situation between a, a mother and and son who's quote unquote evil mm-hmm. is played out in american films versus foreign films i mean if you just look at the three from this year so there was one earlier this year an american film called the prodigy and then there was an irish film called the hole in the ground and then again brightburn of course is an american film and yeah the way the three mothers resolve things the way the filmmakers mm-hmm. resolve things it's very different and maybe suggests that we have it worse here in the United States, which, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of our gun problems suggest might be true, too. <laughs> well, a, a lot of coming-of-age films, especially some uh, and horror films yes. based on uh, girls coming of age. Yeah, there's so the, many. The metaphor is so clear. Oh, yeah. So clear. Just, I mean, Carrie White. Yeah. It's that. And while watching this one, I thought, okay, um, once he turns to puberty, mm-hmm. you know, what's the metaphor? And I don't think it's a... As strong of a metaphor, but I think it is going down the road that you're talking about, and that's a very good point to consider. And we will say the uh, the young boy, Brandon, evil Brandon, <laughs> is played by uh, Jackson A. Dunn, who actually played, he played the young Scott Lang, Ant-Man, yeah. in, uh, in Endgame. So you may have seen him there, but he does a good job moving the boy from sweet, kind of nerdy kid that gets picked on to... Um, Flat affect sociopath. Yeah. He really does. He does. He does a nice job. And of course, Elizabeth Banks is good because she's yeah. always good. Yeah. And uh, and she makes a good anchor for the film, um, you know, and, and kind of elevates it from, you're like, it feels less like a B-movie because Elizabeth Banks is in it. True, true. But it's, uh, yeah, and it gets, it has some really bloody sequences. It does. It you does. Know, tip of well, the hat, man, because there are a couple I really liked yeah. as just a horror fan. I was like, oh, look what that glass well, shard went. One, <laughs> one especially that makes people, Ooh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't look away from that one, but. This is this is a done by written by Gunn. They're they're all they're all related to James Gunn. James Gunn, Guardians of the Galaxy writer director, who started off in horror. He was a, a writer for Trauma, and then he wrote Zack Snyder's version of Dawn of the Dead, and then of course he went on. He did Slither with Elizabeth Banks. Um, so he has a, a, a background in horror, and uh, so this is written. He produced it. It's written by his brother and his cousin Mark and Brian Gunn. You know, uh, it's fine. It's entertaining. So, because this is Memorial Day weekend, I have to say, sun's out, gun's out. (laughs) You can just go ahead and groan. That's okay. Uh, (laughs) See, I crack myself up, and that's not a talent anyone needs. David Yerovesky, though, is the director. He did The Hive. He did The Hive, uh, which, you know, it's funny because I feel like they, at the very beginning of the movie when uh, when Brandon is in high school and they're all in, they're studying, well, that's what they're studying, Hive Mind, yeah. which I thought was like, I remember like thinking, this is a callback that one person in this theater is going to get, but it's me, so I'm fine with but it. But I love that. <laughs> I love those references that not many people are going to get. You throw it in there and just, you know what, the people that know this yeah. are going to appreciate it. I love that sort of <laughs> thing. So, yeah, for what it is, we thought it was decently effective fantasy. Although I will say, you don't have to stay through the uh, entire credits, but there's some things going on during the credits that let you know they want this to continue and maybe expand it a little bit. So we'll see. That's all going to depend upon the box office receipts for a bright burn. Next up, the first of two foreign films we have this week, Life and Intrigue in an Ancient Chinese Court. This is Shadow. (laughs) 
Imujang! Oh back. my god, I love him so much. He's back to form. He had a little misstep a couple years ago. Yeah, oh god. He, yeah, we had the Great Wall. That, a little misstep is a really <laughs> kind way. Now, he directed that, but he did not have any hand in writing it. But um, he's back to his uh, native tongue of Chinese. And this, I love this movie so much. If you know anything about his movies, Hero, House of Flying Daggers, Raise the Red Lantern. Raise the Red Lantern. Is it no, no one? No one stages action the way he does. Nobody pops with color. Oh. I mean, the the way he orchestrates everything on every scene is just hypnotic. The way this movie looks is just incredible. You could not even read the subtitles, and you you won't get the whole story, which is very intriguing, yeah. by the way. But you could probably follow along enough to appreciate it. But you would definitely appreciate the visuals because they're they're just outstanding the mm-hmm. way he he frames everything and this time the color it's basically working in uh, shades of charcoal gray yeah. with splashes of color mm-hmm. that are very very well placed and very effective it's set in ancient china it's basically two cities that uh, had formed um, an alliance to defeat a common enemy have been you know at peace a fragile peace for years now and now that peace is threatened by a years in the making devious plan for revenge by one person against another and uh, it gets very oh man you, you can see bits of, of Charles Dickens and then uh, Alexander Dumas with uh, Man in the Iron Mask mm-hmm. a bit of Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Shakespeare of course it's very very intriguing and it's political allegories and it's all based basically in yin, yin yang yeah. philosophy dualist philosophy and how he makes that work, you know, balancing everything, balancing yeah. characters, balancing scenery. I just I just can't tell you how great this movie looks. <laughs> you know, there's been several movies on this podcast where we've said, see it on the big screen. Oh, yeah. This um, is the one. This oh, is the one. It's, you, you've got to, really yeah. all of his movies, yeah. but if you possibly can, you've got to see this on the big screen because it is just... Just fantastic, and I thought that the story was—it's very the, the writing was very rich, the uh, performances very emotional, mm-hmm. and not just the the look of it, the color, but I mean the production design, the sound design. Yeah, I mean how many times you know I have a, an interest, you do more of an interest than a lot of people in sound, but man, the sound design just pops everything. I mean, and I'll tell you what—you will never. Open your umbrella again and not think of this movie. What they do with umbrellas. It's just, you know, I loved it, loved it, loved it. Cannot uh, recommend it enough. If it's in your area, on the big screen, do not miss Shadow. We go from Chinese to French for the next foreign film set in the Parisian publishing world. An editor and an author find themselves in over their heads as they cope with a middle-age crisis. The changing industry and their wives. It's nonfiction. Sur mon blog, j'ai 5000 clics par jour. Ah bah non, j'ai pas du tout suivi, non, non. Euh... Il <rire> y en a qui écrivent des fils good books, moi j'écris des fils bad books. C'est ça pour que je t'encourage Ouais. Non. This is the latest from writer-director Olivier Assayas, and uh, you had to love it being set in the publishing world, right? Yeah, it's funny, <laughs> right, because I was in publishing for thousands of years, and, and I mean, the last probably 10 years that I was in there, the whole industry was grappling with this idea of, of leaving print behind and how much to embrace digital, and that's really where this is set, is right? They're still there. Yeah. And um, but and, here, and this is another filmmaker that we love. Yeah. Uh, he did uh, Clouds of Sils Maria. Oh, yeah. Great. Did Personal, Personal Shopper. Shopper. And so Juliette Binoche is back. He's, yes. He's, she's a favorite of his. Yes. Well, she, she should be. She she's should everybody's be. She's favorite, great. right? Yeah, yeah. And she's very funny in this. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting, slippery role. The movie um, 
it, it's all, I mean, it's not like Shadow, but it is. I mean, it, it, everything has a, a dual purpose. And the this idea of publishing, how it's changing because the world is changing, and yet it's not changing. And that's a, a lot of what the whole film is like, is that everything changes, but nothing changes. Yeah. You know, And as much as they're constantly talking about um, digital revo- revolution and the, the way consumerism is changing and the way everything is changing, still in every single scene, they're eating, they're drinking, <laughs> yeah. they're having sex because it is a French film. And if, if, if there's one thing that doesn't change, it's French films. Um, and so, but I mean, at the same time, it's like they're talking a lot about change, but really everybody does the same thing that they ever did. Everybody enjoys the same things that they ever did. And so it's, it's wry and comical in that way. And when a movie is as talky as this is, if the writing isn't there, boy, is it going to sink the movie. But yeah. when the writing is strong, yeah. it's okay. And the performances as well. I yeah. mean, all, all of the major performances are really, really strong and funny and sort of cynical and lighthearted at the same time. But on the other hand, it's a French, it's a lot to read. It's a lot to read. I mean, you you know, there are a lot. It's it's not like a traditional subtitled film where, you, you know, you, you find after a while you've had your eyes off the scene for a little too long. You're mm-hmm. like, I wonder if I bet I missed some nuance in Juliette Binoche's performance just now because there were so many words for me to read. And I, <laughs> I rarely complain about subtitle films, but it's really talky. Just typical American. That's <laughs> all you are. This is another latest success from a filmmaker that is usually right on. Yeah. And this is another example of that for Olivier Assayas nonfiction. And one more in limited release. It's the latest from director Rafe Fiennes. Director Rafe Fiennes. The story of Rudolf Nureyev's defection to the West. It's called The White Crow. I'm a peasant from Soviet Union. Boy born on train. I have an obligation to show the world I'm the best. They call me... White Crow. So this is Voldemort's third feature as a filmmaker. <laughs> he has a name, okay? <laughs> it's the name that shall not, we shall that's not speak right, its name. That's right. <laughs> yeah, his third feature, and uh, it's interesting, especially if you're not familiar with the story yeah. of Rudolf Nureyev, but it's it's solid. It's solid. It is. Uh, Brandon Thomas wrote the review for us, and I think that we completely agree with what he had to say, that that what I think is really fun about this movie is how well it balances, how well Fines balances dance sequences with international intrigue. Both of them are just really spectacularly spectacular and very absorbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the lead actor, Oleg Ivenko, who plays Nureyev. Uh, who is a dancer, of course. Yeah. A Czech dancer, oh, yeah. I think. If you're going to play Nureyev, yeah. I think you better be. <laughs> exactly. And this one, you're going to have to read a little bit. There's some subtitles because there's a lot of Russian. Yes, there is. But the the film is not, technically speaking, a foreign language film. I and mean, they just have parts of it that are in Russia. But most of the film takes place in the West. So you you get out of the reading pretty quickly. Yeah, but uh, definitely worth it if it's in your area. So a lot of varied choices this week. And the theaters. Let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Oh, man, new on DVD this week, How to Train Your Dragon 3. Loved it, loved it, loved it, loved you, it. Yeah, you're, you are such a massive sucker for this franchise. It's amazing. It's a great franchise. Well, I know, Tell but me you know, it's not. It is. But what's funny, of course, is that you hate dragons and anything <laughs> dragon-related. And then you saw the first one of these, and you're just hooked. 
That is true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Although here's the thing: if you're if you're all mad about the way Game of Thrones ended, here's a different yeah. dragon-related franchise that That's ends right. well. They That's know what right. they're doing and they satisfy you I mean, with their ending. The first one was so great. The second one good, and this one just comes back and it just solidifies the entire trilogy as man, just just a solid. Solid film trilogy, animated or otherwise. And I it mean, looks great. It looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Yeah, can't, can't recommend it enough. The Upside is out this week. It is the American remake of the Intouchables. That's right. That came out, which was one of the biggest, highest grossing French films ever, yep. I think. And it's about a uh, paraplegic, who, who this time played by Brian Cranston, who hires uh, a character played by Kevin Hart, to uh, be his assistant. Yep. And, of course, it's going to be, you know, the, the rich guy, uh, because the paraplegic is a billionaire or whatever. And so there's going to be there's going to be some life lessons yes. here. Do you feel the life lessons sides. coming on? Yep, yeah. on both sides. Yeah. It's a feel-good movie. We did not like it. <laughs> and out this week as well, Isn't It Romantic? This is where Rebel Wilson's character is finds herself living in a rom-com. Right. And all the common rom-com tropes. You know... I thought it was fine. It, it's not hilarious, um, but it knows it's it's wink wink at uh, the rom com genre, and the the writers know that very well because they've written a few of them, including some with Rebel Wilson. Right. That's what I think. The, I mean, the film is one. It, it acknowledges the guilty pleasure that is romantic comedies. It doesn't really poke. Malicious fun at them. It loves romantic oh, it comedies. Does. It does. It does. It definitely does. It's, it really indulges that guilty pleasure. Yeah. The one thing I thought was kind of weird about it was, to me, Rebel Wilson, who can be very funny, yes. uh, has always been in supporting roles. Yeah. And this one, when she's taken the lead, to me, she just seemed just a little bit uncomfortable yeah. with that all of a sudden. Yeah. Just a and little she's bit. she's used to stealing scenes from somebody exactly. else. And in this case, is the anchor. She exactly. doesn't get as much opportunity. But it, it gave me some, some, some good laughs. Not continuously hilarious, but, but pretty funny. Next week, ooh, it's a big week next week. It is a big a week. big monster. Uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, comes out. And then one just for you. One just for me. Well, you like Elton John. Rocket Man, Elton John biography is and out. And then one for me. <laughs> Octavia Spencer. That's right. Anytime an Oscar evil. winner is yeah. going to play the villain in a horror movie, I am so in. Yeah. So that's a big week. It look, is. look forward to uh, talking about all those next week. Until then, let us know what you thought about these. If you loved Aladdin, you want to fight with us about it, that's great. <laughs> uh, hey, nothing wrong with that. You can always find us on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M A D D W O L F. Also on uh, Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find the written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie only podcast, Fright Club. You can find that all at madwolf.com. So we appreciate you listening, as always, to The Screening Room. And wherever you are listening, if you would take a second to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, we would be forever grateful. Yes, we would. So until next week, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is The Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.